Bags, we've got conference championship weekend ahead of us. The NFL is hitting the home stretch, and there's a lot to try to figure out with the college football playoff, even before we settle those conference champs, man. And we've got the perfect guest to do all of it here on Honorado and Bagnardi. That is the great Mike Golick. Yes, man. I am excited about this one. Uh, you know, we have no insight into anything. And, and no. people still, for some reason, watch us. Tonight, today, we've got legitimate insight from a true professional. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get to it. You're watching Honorado and Bagnardi. Let's go, Bags. In this case, two is not better than one. Who are any of these guys? You're doubling it. You're doubling it. That's major. They were the best team last year, and they just got a whole lot better. This is Honorado and Bagnardi. Driven by Mohawk Honda and Mohawk Chevrolet. All right, Bags. And part of the open there is in reference to you wanting to expand the college football playoff. Me not wanting to. We'll get uh, Mike Golick's opinion here, too. But, Mike, man, it's it's good to see you. I saw you in Bristol a couple of years ago, and uh, and we were so appreciate you doing the show with us. How are you, man? Oh, I'm doing well. You know, got my, uh, got my quarantine beard working that I... I thought I was going to have to shave, but my wife liked it. So if the wife wife likes it, you keep it. That's kind of how that works. Yeah, that's that's good advice. Uh, how much are you looking forward to this weekend? Obviously, your Irish are playing against Clemson in the ACC championship game, but this is always one of the best Saturdays in any sport. Yeah, it is. You know, I thought I was going to have to watch the end of the Notre Dame game while I was calling the beginning of the Michigan-Iowa game, but Dave Pash and I have been calling games this year. I think this is our fourth game that got canceled. So we have not been having great luck, uh, but it will let me just sit down and watch the championship game. This is, listen, it's a great thing to watch. There are, you know, a couple of scenarios for the final four. I think I know how it's going to play out again. It's just a guess, but, I'm, but like, like I would give anybody advice. If you're not sure, just say it with conviction and then you'll sound a lot smarter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm curious for you personally, do you enjoy calling games more or doing sort of the, you know, this type of thing where you're, you can have more longer time to comment and that type of thing? Well, I mean, they're two totally different things. Um, I love calling games. I, I, I called games right when I first got to ESPN, right out of, right out of the NFL. I started doing it in 95 and I did it for 10 years until 2005 when uh, my first son, my first kid, Mike, went to high school and I told ESPN I was going to stop so I could watch all my kids through high school and college. So then I just did the radio and TV show at that point and some studio stuff during the week. But now I, I've always loved doing games. Uh, also, uh, no matter what I do when my contract runs out at ESPN, games are going to be involved. But to your point of, you know, doing a studio show, an NFL show where you get basically 45 second takes, Radio is so much better. Radio and streaming is so much better because you can expound on things and and not have to prioritize. You can get all your points and then not have to just get two or five points in. Before we're done here, I don't know if there's copyright infringement here, Bags, or not, but we're going to do a little grill Golick the way you now see it still being done on Twitter with some fun stuff before we're finished with this segment here. Uh, Mike, let's talk about the playoff here first, right? Because I think that's really where a lot of people <clears> – <throat> want to go you said you feel like you have the top four pegged here's the top nine just because we wanted to show Cincinnati in there as the one non-power five when everything's said and done at the end of this weekend how do you think it falls one through four 
Well, I, I think, boy, how about Alabama? I mean, how about Cincinnati just falling and not playing and Ohio State not playing and staying yeah. right where they are? All that goes to show is the initial – when the initial um, first six came out or first rankings came out, Ohio State was in it. So that was a committee telling you right away, we think they're one of the best four teams in the country. That wasn't going to change. So I think they're going to be the easiest. And I think they, they win the Big Ten championship, and they're going to be a lock then for the Final Four. Though Northwestern's defense is playing extremely well, I don't know if they can hang for the four quarters. Uh, I think Alabama beats Florida. An unbelievable game with Florida and LSU. They, they busted a shoe throw that ended up costing Florida, and that one was, was amazing. Uh, but I think Alabama takes care of business. So the question, anybody outside the top four would be, should be rooting for Notre Dame. Because Notre, if Notre Dame were to win, it gives Clemson a second loss. There's been no two loss teams that ever made the playoffs. I know this is a different year, but I think if Clemson gets their second loss, both of the hands of Notre Dame, they'll be out. So that would leave a slot to most likely Texas A&M sliding in. I think they're playing Tennessee. It's not a conference title game, but they do get to play another game. Though if Iowa State... If they could get and do a number on Oklahoma, that would be really, really interesting. Ohio State's ranked higher, but I believe Oklahoma's favored in this game. So I think I think Iowa State would really have to have an impressive win. And by the way, they're playing great ball right yeah. now. Um, but I think Alabama stays at one. I think the way everybody on the outside could stay outside looking in is if Clemson beats Notre Dame in a close game. A, a, well, a couple of years ago, it wasn't. It was, what, 30-3 to three comes in Notre Dame. I'm not talking about a game like that. I'm talking about a close game. If Clemson beats Notre Dame, I think they both could be in. Then I think you get Alabama, uh, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Ohio State, if that were to happen. If Notre Dame beats Clemson, Clemson will be out. And then I think it's going to come down to uh, Iowa State. Can they win convincingly over Oklahoma? And I mean convincingly. If not, I'd imagine Texas A&M is going to slide into that four spot. So one thing we know for sure is that somebody's probably not going to be happy with how things are determined, right? We have that every year. And we're going to have that no matter what, expanded yeah. playoffs or not. But I'm curious, do you feel like the way it is now is really where it should be? Or would you like to see a change to the playoff format, whether that be expanding it or something else? They should have expanded it this year. I mean, they had the – they had the, the, the chance we saw pro sports expanding their playoffs for this year. I think this would have been a year. I would love to see a group five team get a shot. As long as there's only four slots, a group of five team is never getting a shot. And listen, they may go in there and they may get their butts handed to them. But Notre Dame's been in the playoffs and got their butt handed to them. Oklahoma has been in the playoffs, and it's happened a couple of times where they've gotten their butt handed to them. So it happens. I would like to see a group of five, you know, a Cincinnati a BYU, you know, a Coastal Carolina, get a shot. It, it may not end well, but I'd like to give it a shot. So I would absolutely expand it to at least six, maybe eight. I don't think I'd go any higher than that. I thought this year would have been a nice year to do it because basically the committee handed Ohio State a slot playing four or five games less than everybody else. Why not expand it this year and, and you know, give a chance to some of the a group of five team or other teams in the power five as well who have played more games. So I think you just answered the next question here. Mike, what if Ohio State wins, but it's really close? I, I get that this is really far-fetched because I, I, I'm with you. They'll be in two. But could you ever see a scenario where Cincinnati, for some reason this year, just gets vaulted ahead? No, no, I, I don't. I mean, 
Well, unless or you, you look at the again the, the the teams in front of them. So Iowa State would have to lose to Oklahoma, right? Yep. Um, Florida is going to lose, I think, to Alabama, so they'll be out. Uh, Georgia, their game is canceled, right? So they're not even playing. So hopefully Cincinnati plays their game. You know, number one, start there. But where's Oklahoma? Aren't they 10? You have the top one there. Is Oklahoma 10? Yeah. So do we not think if Oklahoma beats Iowa State and or beats them soundly that they would probably jump Cincinnati too? So, I mean, a group of five teams are screwed. I, they really are. I mean, you can tell well, the way the committee thinks. Look where Cincinnati was and their games have been postponed and they just kept dropping. I mean, it, it just tells you what the committee thinks of that. So I think the only way a group of five gets in is if they expand the playoffs. So we know who you're rooting for here in the long run. <laughs> who do you see ultimately uh, hoisting the, the championship here and, and taking it all? You know, it's Alabama just looks so good. In all honesty, they could have the Blitnikoff Award winner and Devonta Smith, Najee Harris, the dope, and Mac Jones, the Heisman. Though, quite honestly, man, Devonta Smith, I think, should get great consideration for the Heisman. The three non-quarterbacks I think that should be up for the Heisman are Brees Hall from Iowa State, who leads the nation in rushing, Najee Harris, and Devonta Smith. But it won't go to a stinking quarterback. And as a former D lineman, it's in my DNA. I have to hate quarterbacks. So that award is basically a, a quarterback award, which is a shame. But it's hard to think of somebody beating Alabama right now. I, I mean, it really is. Listen, people are making the comparison of Notre Dame's defense to that of 2012, and they still got smoked against Alabama. But the one big difference, I think, with Notre Dame is their defensive speed has increased. And I think that helps them to be able to stay with the Clemsons. Uh, the Ohio States and the Alabamas of the world. I know they beat Clemson, but they didn't have Trevor Lawrence and four starters on defense. I still think that's going to be maybe the best game of the weekend. I think it's going to be incredibly uh, competitive. So I'd still have to lean toward Alabama. Ohio State, we know they're one of the better teams, but in games they played this year, they have struggled a bit, and they haven't played a lot of games, a lot of starting and stopping for them. So that doesn't help with your continuity. So if it made me pick one, it's tough not to go Alabama. People watching right now are, are on the Notre Dame train too, Mike. And and Bags, you know where my allegiances lie. Here's a little throwback. This is me and my brother at South Bend. And Mike, you know that guy on the left there, Tony Rice, the last quarterback to win a national yeah. championship for Notre Dame. That was us tailgating with a national champ uh, before Jimmy Clausen and Charlie Weiss beat up on Duke that year. So I, I've been a Notre Dame fan growing up all my life too. Listen, I, I think Notre Dame has a chance. I mean, Ian Book, the, the big question mark early in the season to me, Ian Book needs to throw the ball better. Even though he, I know he lost his top three receivers, uh, I, I get it. But he's starting to throw better. He uses his legs extremely well to be a dangerous runner. The running is going well. The old line is one of the best in the country. Uh, and their defense is playing is playing fantastic. So they could be there because – not only do you have to have a tough defense to stop the high-powered offenses, you have an offense that can strike pretty quickly as well. And the way Ian Book has been playing, I think Ian Book is a great college quarterback. I don't know what kind of a future he'd have in the NFL. We'll have to wait and see about that. But what he does in college, you know, Brian Kelly has said it. This guy just knows how to win when the situation asks for it. And he does. He absolutely does. I mean, it's just amazing the moxie he has when times get really tough on how he's able to come through. 
Shawnee, Mike has a great fundraising campaign he's got going. We're going to get into that later on in the show and how you can help. And Shawnee, how you and I will even help as well as we like to do when we've got guests with great causes who come on the show. Yeah, my, my question for you here is we segue now to the NFL. Taking a look here at the NFC, Green Bay, number one, the Saints, two right now. How do you like the NFC shaking out? You know, you got Tom Brady in this conference here. Let's not forget about him. You got Russell Wilson there, the Saints now at the five, and, of course, the crazy NFC East. What do you think of the, the NFC playoff picture right now? Well, my, my top three at the beginning of the year are the Saints, the Packers, and the Seahawks. Uh, the Seahawks' defense has turned out to be pretty garbage. Uh, that's really hurting them. The Packers, I mean, it's amazing. You just keep getting on them for saying, why in the hell don't you get, you know, Aaron Rodgers some weapons? And then Aaron Rodgers just continues to produce the way he does. He's, he's the leading candidate for the MVP right now. I don't think there's any. I think the three interceptions hurt Mahomes from that individual standpoint anyway. Uh, and then uh, uh, the Saints – I thought would be the top team. And then, boy, they lay that egg against, you know, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles in his first start. That was a little bit surprising. Now, they are looking to get Breeze back. Oh, by the way, I think Breeze over the last two years has missed eight or nine games. And this last game was the first loss without Drew Breeze, which has been amazing. But they're going to mm-hmm. get back. So I think it's going to be between Green Bay and New Orleans. Tampa Bay just can't seem to – to get clicking right now. I, I get a little tired of the narrative that uh, Bruce Arians, you know, criticizes Tom Brady or he's ruining Tom Brady. My God, Bruce Arians has been coaching great quarterbacks forever. Bruce Arians has been critical publicly forever. He's not specifically doing this for Tom Brady. I even sent out a mocking tweet the other day when Tom Brady overthrew Gronkowski. I said, oh, oh well, must have, been, must have been Bruce Arians' fault on that one. I mean, listen, it's everybody collectively. Tom Brady is going to go down as, in some people's minds, the greatest quarterback of all time. If, if some people don't think he's the greatest, he's in what we call the team picture. This guy, his legacy is not getting tarnished, but he's 43. He's not as good when he was 35. He's just not. Father time always wins. So he's missing throws. The offense isn't clicking for them right now. So it's a combination of things. I'm just amazed at the blaming of Bruce Arians that he's ruining Tom Brady. So. I don't know where that, that – that they've been out of sync. So I'll, I think I'll go with either Green Bay or New Orleans at this point. I know there's the cliche, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Can you say anything positive about the NFC East? Here's the final road for the Giants in Washington. No, you can't. You can't say anything. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> nothing. And it, listen, that's the, that's the division I spent most of my career in. Um, but the bottom line is because – the other thing I don't like is – the knee-jerk reaction of everybody saying, well, my God, with the record of that out of the East, they shouldn't be allowed to play us. Give somebody else. No, it's cyclical, man. I mean, NFC East was a great con. It's been a great division at times. They're down right now. They just are. That doesn't mean you start changing everything and saying, oh, if you don't have a winning record, you know, you don't win the division. We saw that Seattle do that in 2010. They were 7-9, and nine, and then they won the first round of the playoffs. So it happens. Just let it be. Whatever the record is, they win the division. They'll be the only team in the playoffs, that's for sure. There'll be no uh, um, wild cards there. But it's bad right now. But does the future look better? Washington's got to get stable at the quarterback position. Alex Smith, while he come back, and that is an incredible thing, is still toward the end of his career. And we know, you know, is Daniel Jones the answer? Is, is he going to be the guy? You don't have Saquon Barkley. What's going to happen to Dallas? Are they going to sign Dak coming off? 
you know, a devastating injury. And then certainly my Eagles, what are you going to do? Is someone trading for Carson Wentz to take out all that money? Or are you going to have one of the most expensive backups in the world next year because of the cap hit you take if you got rid of him? So there's some there's some definite question marks on all the teams. Which team in that division right now do you think, even though they'll definitely be an underdog, stands the best chance to maybe pull off a win in a playoff game? You know, you know who I like amazingly is is Washington because of their defense. Washington kind of took the took a page out of the 49ers book and are loaded at D-line where they can rotate guys around. Look what Chase Young is doing. I mean, unbelievable. But that D-line is playing extremely well. And we know that helped 49ers a lot because the 49ers weren't living on the arm of Jimmy Garoppolo. They were living on the legs of the running backs in the O-line and the defense. And Washington defense is playing well. Hopefully, Alex Smith won't be out long. Alex Smith has, was, was a really good quarterback. And it's, again, still, I, I get nervous every time he goes out on the field, but kudos to him for it. But he's a safe quarterback as well. He can make some things happen, get a running game, and hopefully they get their running back back as well. And that defense is playing well. So because of the defense playing well, that's why I say we'll, we'll give them a shot out of the East. All right, Mike, how about in the AFC? Um, are the Chiefs beatable? And then the backside of that is, what to you is the ceiling for the Buffalo Bills? Well, I think right now, I thought it was the Chiefs and the Steelers. And we just saw what happened to the Steelers against the Bills. I, they, boy, they got they got to clean up some things. Now, drops you can clean up. I mean, because we didn't see those early, but we've seen the last few weeks of the drops from the receivers. All we were doing was singing the praises of the trio of receivers, and now all of a sudden they're dropping the ball. So they need that to stop. But quite honestly, it's been the O-line. O-line is strong. They get opening up holes for the running attack uh, to protect Big Ben from not moving around. Their defense has always been a tough defense, but the offense has just been sputtering at this point. So I love what the Bills do. I would say you asked me today, today, it would be the Bills that would be the team that could they give Kansas City a run for their money? Because Kansas City hasn't been the oh my God team that we saw last year. You know, we've actually seen some mistakes out of, out of Mahomes, but the talent level can't be matched there. Their talent level is unbelievable. But you ask me right now, now I still think they play better, but you ask me right now, you've got to give kudos to the Bills and what they're doing. One team that would have a little bit of work to do, but really showed up on Monday night, the Baltimore Ravens. Do you see them at all here making any kind of push with Lamar at the top of his game? The the two things that hold me back is they've been inconsistent this year. And then when they get to the playoffs, they've done nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, literally nothing in the playoffs. <laughs> Lamar is great. And what a game he had, even after bathroom run. Uh, what he was what that was the game of the year. It was unbelievable. So yeah. We know it's there, but it's not there enough on a consistent basis that I could say, okay, you're going to start in the playoffs and there'll be a wild card this year and make a run all the way through. I don't think they're they're that consistent just yet. All right, Bex, let's take a quick timeout here. Uh, Back in less than a minute on Honorado and Bagnardi. We'll do a little grill Golick and then we'll cut him loose. Uh, We've taken up enough of his time already, but we'll bug him with some of the stupid questions we have. And I've got some coming in on Facebook as well. We're back in less than a minute.
depressed, overworked, job sucks, underappreciated. When life sucks, just say Dilligaf. Our clothing line puts the F.U. back into fun. Nothing will give you greater satisfaction. Dilligaf isn't just an attitude, it's a lifestyle. Some people ride the crazy train, we drive that mother. Check out our selection at DillaGaffUSA.com. Now back to Honorado and Bagnardi. Honorado and Bagnardi brought to you by Mohawk Honda and Mohawk Chevrolet. Mike Golick is our guest here, of course, the great Mike Golick from his radio days, his playing days, and now analyzing games again for ESPN. Mike, did you ever think that the majority of people in your life would know you as a broadcaster as opposed to a football player? Is that true? I think it is, and, and I hate it. Um, one time we had uh, we had Bill Curry on the show years ago, oh. and he w- and somebody asked him, Bill, would you rather remember to re- be remembered for being a great coach or a great football player? And because he was both. And he said, I've never once woken up in the middle of the night in a dream, dreaming about, dreaming about how great I coached. It was always about how, making a great play in a dream. You never, I never dreamed about, you know, woke up in the middle of the night and said, oh my God, that was a great show. You know, it was, <laughs> I sacked somebody or I picked up a fumble or did something like that. Listen, it's been a ball and I've loved it. Obviously it, it's a lot of fun, but, I'd always rather be remembered as a football player. But as as more and more people say, hey, man, I listened to you when I was, you know, in middle school, you know, and now I'm out of college and married, they, you know, really reinforce how old I am and the fact that they never knew I did football. <laughs> did the broadcast thing enter your mind as early as your playing days or how much later did that come in where maybe this could be a, a big career option for you? Oh, I, I never thought it would be this. You know, when I went out of the game, a lot of times it was – uh, athletes into the booth and called games, which is something I did right away. Um, and then the opportunity to do local radio in Arizona at the time happened. So I did that, and I really enjoyed it, and it led to ESPN. I was calling college games for them. I was doing NFL. It's NFL Live now. It used to be called NFL Tonight. I was doing studio shows there, and they said, hey, we want to start a national morning radio show. You want to move here and do it? So I didn't see that coming. Again, it was just mostly we were analysts, but now, you know, it, it certainly opened up what former players can do, can do a lot more. And I was fortunate enough to get that chance to do it. Sadly, Sean and I do wake up in the middle of the night sometimes in a cold sweat, realizing our job at the TV station has not been fulfilled the way it should be done. So that's the difference between <laughs> an all-class athlete and, and two schmucks like us. Uh, so Mike on Facebook wants to know, a uh, big fan of yours, who's your favorite teammate to play with and why? Well, I mean, most of my years were in Philadelphia, and this was also before free agency. Um, right. So we were all together for a while. And those were, were probably my, my favorite guys on defense. You know, Jerome Brown, the, the God rest his soul. Reggie White, God rest his soul. I mean, Clyde Simmons, Mike Pitts. Those are the kind of the guys, you know, were, were my friends and teammates. Uh, you know, when I was in Philly, along with, you know, the Seth Joyners and Eric Allens of the world uh, as well. So I would say, say there, it would be mostly in, in when I was in Philadelphia. 
I was only teammates with Dan Marino for a year on Miami, my last year playing, and we've become pretty good friends after that. But from a teammate standpoint, those years in Philly would have to would have to be those guys. I'm not going to ask you your worst teammate, but I am curious because we all deal with teammates who we're not the biggest fans of in our yeah. lives, and that doesn't even necessarily mean sports or anything. But what advice would you have for somebody? dealing with a bad teammate in their life? And what did you kind of do in your career to push through some of that stuff? Well, in, in all honesty, it happens everywhere. I mean, there's yeah. 53 active players, and then you have a practice squad. Let me just let everybody in on a little secret. Everybody doesn't give along, get along. We don't come in every morning and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. doesn't work that way. You know, th there are guys that were on my defense that I never hung out with, never wanted to hang out with, and I'm sure they didn't want to hang out with me. So... You don't have to associate with them in a social way at all, you know, but you be a good workmate, teammate, right? If it's outside the world of sports, you'd be a good workmate as long as nobody's hurting anybody else. In this case, you'd be a good teammate. So if I'm on the field and I have a job to do that frees up a guy that we may not get along, so be it. You're doing what you need to do for your team. That's the most important thing is team. Is team is first. So that would be my advice. Again, as long as nobody is hurting anybody else, you put the team first. If you have to make some sacrifices for that, that's the way it goes. But I, I, I couldn't pick anything in life or any business in life with multiple people working there where you think everybody loves one another. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. You two probably at times hate each other's guts. Oh, in fact, most of the time. I mean, Chris, you've texted me outside the group and told me how much that you can't say. <laughs> I mean, listen. It happens. I get it. All right, let's rip through some of these. And if you know Grill Golick, you know the hashtag on Twitter and fire your own at Mike. We're going to do some here. Uh, quickly, Mike, appropriate timeline for Christmas decorations. When do they go up? When do they come down? Day after uh, Halloween, as far as I'm concerned. The Golick House, listen, we were – now, let's throw this year out because this year do it anybody whenever you want. Whatever makes yeah. you smile, man, you got to do it. But normally in our household, as soon as um, – is Halloween is over, we, you know, take, pick up the ghosts and goblins and we put up the decorations. We put up the lights. People, there's some people think we're nuts for doing that and you shouldn't do anything until after Thanksgiving. They're like, give Thanksgiving its due. I said, Thanksgiving's a day. Thanksgiving's <laughs> not a season. It's not the season of Thanksgiving. It's the season of Christmas. It's the holiday season. So I, last I checked, nobody ever sang me a Thanksgiving song. Now, I love Thanksgiving, and I eat my butt off on Thanksgiving, but I can do it around Christmas decorations and not feel bad at all. Adam Sandler did a good Thanksgiving song. Yes, he, well, that's true. He did. I'm not as talented as him, obviously. <laughs> I like that, too, though. Then you're not freezing your butt off. You do it at Halloween. You're not doing it later. All yeah. right, this one here, Mike. What is the must-watch Christmas movie for the Golics? Every year, I think it's on TNT, uh, they run a 24-hour straight of Christmas story. Yep. the Red Rider BB gun. That's that's our show. We just turn it on that channel and we just leave it on for those 24 hours. You can pick that thing up everywhere. You know, I mean, the, the classic lines will shoot your eye out. You know, I mean, it's a I love that movie. As a matter of fact, one time when I went home to Cleveland, uh, me and my wife and we, we went into the, the house. It was filmed. The house was there in Cleveland. And we took some of the kids there and we went there and we did a tour of it. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> You know, it has the, the sultry leg lamp and everything. And uh, but that that that's mine. That that that's mine. And before anybody starts, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, so I don't even want to get into it. 
I like it. Spot on. <laughs> uh, we asked your son this when we had him on the show more than a year ago now. Uh, which seasonal Reese's is the best? You got the egg, you got the pumpkin, and you got the tree. Well, I, I, I think – now, if I remember correctly out of him, would he pick the tree because he thinks it's the biggest? Mm -hmm. I think that's the way he went. And I'm a big Reese's peanut butter cup guy, so I would do that as well. I would also go with whatever gave me the biggest combination of peanut butter and chocolate because I think that's, you know, that, that's as good as peanut butter and jelly. When you talk about, you know, mixing and matching, you know, that those are those are the two big ones for me. So if the tree is biggest, I'll go with the tree. Spoiler alert, they all taste the same. Uh, <laughs> Mike, what what is the best thing you've watched during the pandemic? We're all locked up in our houses on Netflix and every other streaming service. What's the best thing you watch? Oh my God, I have watched, okay, I'm gonna tell you, Shit's Creek. Oh. Now, don't say anything, I'm still in season six because me and my wife are watching it together. We're not at home all the same time all the time. So I'm on like the third episode of the last season. So, okay. I mean, it is great because it's a half hour. You know, it's hilarious. Yeah. David has got to be one of the great characters of all time. I love the fact that it's a father, a son, and a daughter, you know, <laughs> in this with David and, and Twyla and, uh, and Johnny Rose. I, I love it. But we watch that. My wife and I watch The Crown. Somebody told me that the Queen's Gambit is really good. Yep. Um, so I may may jump jump into that. I also just started the last season, season 11 of Shameless, which is, if anybody hasn't seen Shameless, it is the white trashiest, <laughs> dirty, kind of funny show that you could watch on, on, on it, is, it is so good. And I just started the last season of that. Yeah, Schitt's Creek is phenomenal oh, um so i am i am actually really looking forward to the snow so i have an excuse to stay in i'm binging yellowstone currently oh my god is there anybody better than rip i mean I when know. you think tough cowboy is there anyone better than rip i mean it's just that is a phenomenal show yeah bottom of your screen uh Operation BBQRelief.org. Mike is doing a great thing with Operation Barbecue Relief. It started out uh, as, as a group that wanted to help some storm-ravaged areas of the country to deliver food. Now, because of the pandemic, it has shifted the focus to really helping save some restaurants. And Mike, you've been a huge part of that because you've been willing to come on the show with us, man. We greatly appreciate it. We're going to make a donation of the show to Operation BBQ, Barbecue Relief as well. And I know through your wife's Venmo, you're doing auctions and, and not auctions, but raffles, which is really cool. Right. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, I got hooked up with them a while ago. Listen, I love barbecue. Who doesn't? It's a great comfort <laughs> food. And they started with a lot of pit champions going around to where natural disasters were and feeding displaced families and, and first responders and frontline people. And they did it to the tune of over, unfortunately, you know, because you'd rather not have an organization like this, but we need it. You know, over 10 million um, uh, meals overall, over 5 million this year alone because of obviously everything that, that, that's gone on. So um, it, it's pretty cool. So I like doing some things for them. And, yeah, I cleaned out my office at ESPN, and my wife just said, people are asking about this stuff. Why don't we just do $5 Venmos and, you know, we'll, we'll let people in on it so you didn't have to have a ton of money. It wasn't an auction. And – we were stunned. I mean, it ended up raising a little over $16,000, $5 wow. at a time. So 
it's pretty cool. So we mailed all, a lot of the stuff out of my office off to these people, and God knows what they'll do with it. But uh, it was very cool of them to do it. Went for a great cause. So I appreciate you guys doing that. Well, you can still donate. OperationBBQRelief.org. That's where we're going to make our donation here from the show. Mike, this was a blast, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, stay healthy. Merry Christmas and, and enjoy the season. Oh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Very cool show. I, I enjoyed it a and lot. And go Irish. Go Irish, go man. Irish. For sure. Let's hope. I'm just kind of trying to keep that on the down low. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Brian. That was a lot of fun. Mike Golick with us here on Honorado and Bagnardi. Bags, the Albany basketball team actually has some games in the, not the rear view, but we're looking through the windshield. There are games ahead of us this weekend. Will Brown, the head coach, is going to join us next here on Honorado and Bagnardi back in less than a minute. This wasn't my first vehicle, so I wanted something cool, stylish, and dependable. The process was so easy and comfortable. I lead an active lifestyle, my days are busy, and I need a vehicle I can depend on and enjoy driving. As soon as I test drove the Honda Passport from Mohawk Honda, I knew it was the perfect vehicle for me. I love technology, and this Passport has it all. I'm Cassie from Boston Spa. That's my story, and this is my Mohawk Honda, where they really do go out of their way to please you. Now back to Honorado and Bagnardi. All right, Bags, the college basketball season is here locally. The Albany women have played, the Siena women have played, the Siena men are back on pause. It is something that Will Brown has had to deal with at UAlbany as well, is all this uncertainty of, you know, how long are we going to be able to practice? Are we going to play games? Well, they're going to play some games. Let's bring the head coach in now. Hey, Will, it's good to see you, man. I know you've got a tight window because you've got media availability and practice to do this afternoon. So thanks for taking the time, man. No, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. What does it feel like now to finally have some practices under your belt where you know you're going to play a game this weekend? Yeah, it's been a long time coming. I think um, we really haven't really didn't start until, um, you know, basically uh, the night before Thanksgiving. And we've been fortunate uh, to get some practices in and looking forward to the opportunity to get on the court and compete against someone else. So (laughs) we have one more COVID test we have to pass, and then uh, hopefully we get to Saturday and we get a chance to compete. Looking back on everything that's happened leading up to here, what's been sort of the biggest takeaway for you with the pandemic, how you've had to deal with things and now leading up to and preparing for a season that has been totally different from any other in your career? Well, probably the resiliency of our student athletes. I think they've been through an awful lot and everybody wants to talk about the physical piece. We're not practicing enough. We're not going to be in shape, this, that. But I think more than anything is the mental piece. You know, anytime you're in quarantine or in a pause and these young men don't have the opportunity to do what they love to do, you know, it's tough. Um, you know, so try to keep their spirits high, make sure they're focused academically, be there for them. I think we're all zoomed out 
at this point <laughs> in time. Um, you know, again, prior to the pandemic, I didn't even know what Zoom was. I wish I did. I would have bought an awful lot of stock in Zoom. Um, you know, but I, I just think it's been something that we've never experienced before. I haven't experienced this. So as much as our student athletes were trying to figure it all out, we as coaches were trying to navigate through it as well. And when you don't have a lot of a lot of answers for young kids, you know, they get easily frustrated. And I have found myself explaining to them soon as I hear something, I will let you know. I just think we everybody is trying to figure this out from our athletic department to the university to the department of health you know to at the government level so uh it's been a tremendous challenge one like no other uh unfortunately i'm not sure it's going to get any better anytime soon with the holidays approaching and the dead of winter um so you know i'm just hopeful that 2021 we get back some sense of normalcy. It'll be a different type of normal, I'm sure. But, you know, we still have a lot of challenges ahead of us. All right, here's one challenge, Will. Uh, from a coaching perspective, what is it going to be like playing exclusively back-to-back games? I know you got a middle-of-the-week game coming up, but really just the conference schedule. Every Saturday and Sunday, you guys are playing a game. Yeah, no, you know, it's different. It's a challenge. The only back-to-backs we've played in my 20 years – uh, at Albany is years ago when our conference tournament was under one roof. Uh, you win on Friday, you play on Saturday or a holiday tournament, but nothing like this in conference play. So it will be a learning experience uh, for us as coaches. You know, my staff has reached out to a couple of coaches in the Ivy League who have, for years have been doing the weekend format for conference games, uh, but it's usually a different opponent. Uh, on the weekend. They play one team one night, another team uh, the next night. We're going to play the same team back-to-back. And I think, you know, we'll probably do an extra day of prep. We used to do two days of prep for an opponent. Now we'll do three days of prep. We'll play Saturday, um, win or lose. After the game, the coaches, we've got to watch the film, break it down, uh, what, what what worked well, what didn't work, make the necessary adjustments. And then we have to figure out what we did well, what will our opponents do, what do we think they'll do, what adjustments do we foresee them making, and then we have to figure that out as well. The, the difference is, or the hard part is, we're not allowed back on the court on Saturday. So if we play a 2 o'clock game and we're done at 4, I can't bring our guys back at 7 p.m. and do a walkthrough. All we're allowed per NCAA rules in this situation is one hour max of film work um, after the game. So what we're attempting to do is play the game, make sure the guys have food after the game and send them home. We as a staff will come up to my office, break through the game film, uh, put together a good, bad edit that we can share with our players, bring our players back that night. Here's what we did well. Here's what we didn't do well. Break out the dryer erase board. Start showing some different things we need, the adjustments we need to make, and then hopeful that the next morning, that the game's not too early the next day, that we can get on the court and just walk through some stuff. I do think rest and recovery is going to be very important. Uh, That's what scares me about, you know, this weekend. 
Uh, we're playing UMBC, who's really good. I believe they've got seven of their top eight guys back. They've been going since August 1st. No pause, no interruption, nothing. And we'll be their seventh game. And I believe they're five and one right now. So uh, only lost to Georgetown. So, you know, for us, with no scrimmages, we haven't had a referee in our building because of COVID for practice. So I'm hoping we don't get called for eight illegal screens on Saturday. (laughs) And I'm also hopeful that we can just take a deep breath and relax um, but I have to figure out with no scrimmages, I haven't seen any of the new guys with the lights on before. So I have to find the happy medium. Hey, we have to win these games, but I have to find the happy medium of, I also have to be able to evaluate what I have. And I also really like um, our personnel, especially some of our new guys, but we have a couple of guys that are returning from serious injuries. Like, you know, Jojo Anderson had, reconstructive knee surgery and the knees as good as it's been in a long time, but he hasn't been at, he hasn't been a hundred percent for too long. CJ Kelly, a talented transfer from Norfolk state who was on the all rookie teams, probably our best individual offensive player had the same surgery as Jojo in December. And he's about 80% right now, but he's going to play and he's going to play a lot. And then we have another really talented new guy and Chuck champion, a grad transfer from Loyola, who's uh, averaged double figures two years in a row at Loyola, but he missed last year for injury, had a screw put in his foot not too long ago, has only practiced five days. So he hasn't played in nine months. He's practiced five days. His conditioning is poor. His, um, he's got rust, but he's talented, and he can really create off the bounce, which we seriously lacked last year. So I do think that whatever happens this weekend or the first two or three weeks, I think when we get to mid-January, if everybody stays healthy and progresses, we have a chance to be really good. The issue is uh, we preseason number two, UMBC, and then the next two conference games, preseason number one, Vermont. So we're getting thrown to the wolves right from the get-go. So we have to find a way – where we can focus on winning, but I can also evaluate what we have. And we, I can't have, I can't be narrow-minded right here. I've got to look at the big picture. And I want us to be really good those last couple of weeks of the season headed into a conference tournament. So I have to stay patient. I think the mask will help me. Uh, I'll probably chew a hole right through it, but, uh, you know, that'll help me. But I really like our pieces. But we have one more COVID test we have to pass before Saturday. We submit that tomorrow. So fingers crossed. We're hopeful we can get to Saturday, which I think is a big accomplishment uh, in itself. we got to get through this snowstorm as well. That's coming our way. Um, But I'm very proud of our guys. I'm happy that we're going to get to this point. And, you know, the university did a wonderful job with all the protocols and the health and safety. And, uh, you know, very fortunate to coach this game, as I have reiterated to our players. They're very uh, very fortunate to be able to play. And we have to understand the, this is uncharted territory, and it might not get better. So we need to stay patient and control what we can control, which, as you guys know, is often very little. Yeah. One thing, Coach, I did want to touch on when you were talking about the back-to-backs. Will you ever approach it as a two-game strategy? In other words, 
Is it like, this is what we're going to do in game one. In game two, we're, you know, we might save some things, and then game two we'll pull something out that maybe we didn't show them in game one. Or is it always really going to be, let's throw everything out of game one and then just adjust? Well, let's face it. Uh, game one, both teams are going to be fresh. You know, So I think you've got to throw those haymakers in game one. And, and, and if you can get game one under your belt, you know, worst case scenario, you're walking out with a split. You obviously want to win both games. Um, you know, I think the second game, I think the one difference might be, you know, maybe both teams are a little bit tired. The rest and recovery is important. Maybe your rotation, maybe you go a little deeper. Maybe you can't play certain guys as much. But I think you have to be very careful with, um, you know, not trying to go at your opponent with anything but plan A. Yeah, you have to have a plan B in case plan A doesn't work. Shoot, you might have to have a plan C. If you have to go to plan C, you're probably in trouble. Um, you know, but I think right now we've got to, we've got to win that first one. And then, like I talked about earlier, we have to understand what went well, what didn't, and how our opponents will also adjust as well. What did they struggle with based on the film? And what do we think that they're going to do to make the adjustment to have more success in game two. So I think game two really becomes a chess match. Um, you know, so, you know, it, it's a challenge, but we're going to learn a lot from this weekend because whatever our mentality is going into the first, uh, this first set of back-to-backs, you know, Sunday night when the games are over and my staff and I are breaking down film, when we're done with the film, we're going to talk about, hey, what did we like about our preparation? What did we learn from our preparation? How can we do better for our guys? What adjustments can we make as a staff, even after those two games are over as we head in to Vermont, which would be our next back-to-back? So I think uh, because nobody has experienced this, uh, it would be foolish if you just walked in to every, this is how we do it, this is what we're going to do, this is how we've always done it. Well, these aren't normal times. And I do think it's going to be a big chess match. Um, the only difference is when you play a team, say the end of December, normally we wouldn't play them again until maybe late January, early February. So now you don't have that time. So you better figure it out and figure it out quickly. Uh, trust your instincts, trust your judgment, roll with it. But again, you better if, if – Plan A doesn't work. You better have a counter and be ready to, uh, you know, to use it. So uh, I think it also puts a little more pressure on our players because when you put when you pr- when you put a lot of pride uh, and emphasis on your scouts and embracing scouting reports and all that, I think KYP, as we like to call it, know know your personnel. I think the individual personnel won't be too difficult for our guys. I think as we change things up from Saturday to Sunday is where our guys need to have laser focus. And we have to do an unbelievable job, in my opinion, of explaining everything to our guys to a T so there's no gray area. When there's gray area, our guys are going to be thinking too much and they're not going to be out there playing enough. Coach, we've already gone over with you. I don't need the rest of the Capital Region media on us for uh, for holding you up here. And I know you've got practice as well. Um, you had a hell of an offseason, all the money you and Jamie raised for Ameri- for Coaches versus Cancer and the American Cancer Society. Man, kudos to you. As we get to do this again, and I hope we will, 
I hope we can talk about your efforts uh, in the capital region and nationally what you guys were able to do. Go to practice, wear the mask, stay safe, be healthy, and man, I can't wait. I'll, I'll be at UAlbany this weekend covering those games. I can't wait for it. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on, and thank you for mentioning uh, what Jamie and I you know, attempt to do. I think this university and this community um, means so much to us, and you know, we're lucky to have the platform, and I think it's important that uh, everybody gives back, and I think often people think giving back means money. Sometimes it does, but there's so many ways we can all give back and make an impact. So I appreciate you mentioning that. Thanks for having me on. Stay healthy and safe and bring us some luck this weekend. You got it, man. Good luck this weekend. Well, all right. Thanks. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, Coach. Uh, it's you, Albany head coach Will Brown with us here uh, on Honorado and Bagnardi Bags. Finally, some games, man. Ashley's been able to cover the Siena women. I'm going to get down to Seth Q and cover those games, which I'm looking forward to. Well, like Coach said, though, fingers crossed, right? No. Siena got really close with those Fairfield games we had to coach on the day before, and then the games didn't get played. So, and, and Coach said they got the one test to get through. Fingers crossed that they will. But you're right, man. It's it's great to have because, like we said with Coach Carm, it's like it's been back, but it hasn't been back here. We haven't had it locally. So having that feeling of you all, me, Sienna, and back on the court, it, it is a great feeling. And, like, it's about time, man. We've got bank on it coming up here still. We're going to react to the Giannis and Tetacumpo contract extension. I said it's not going to happen. Shawnee said it would. Yeah. It did. And it is for as much money as an NBA player could possibly sign. What is the threat Milwaukee maybe, maybe provides to a Lakers or a Clippers or maybe even the defending Eastern Conference champs, the Miami Heat? Back right after this on Honorado and Bagnardi. I lead a busy lifestyle and wanted a vehicle with the space I need and loaded with bells and whistles. Dre was fun to work with and found a great deal for me to find new roads at Mohawk Chevrolet. And right now you should reserve your 2021 Silverado because we can't keep them in stock during truck month at Mohawk Chevrolet. Or cash in on 0.9 financing on select 2020 models for up to 72 months right now during truck month at Mohawk Chevrolet. I'm Kimmy from Clifton Park and that's my story and this is my Mohawk Chevrolet where they always go out of their way to please you. So, what does Capcom have that your bank doesn't? You'll love our lower fees and great rates and a team of financial experts who put you first. What's not to love? We even make it easy to switch. Visit us and open your account today. And find out what it's like to bank where you matter most. Now back to Honorado and Bagnardi. All right, Shawnee, before we get to bank on it, quick reminder for everyone, we are on every podcast platform. So if you can't watch us, you want to listen to us, by all means, download, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff and listen. And if you're just hanging out at home, all you have to do is tell Alexa to play the podcast Honorado and Bagnardi. We're on Amazon Podcasts as well as Apple and Spotify. You can check us out there every single episode of Honorado and Bagnardi, including this one with Mike Golick and Will Brown, can be found there. You can't avoid us. You cannot avoid us. No, we're everywhere. We are in your home. 
We are in your home. That's right. <laughs> All right, Bags. This is something we don't we don't generally discuss our bank on it before too much before the show anyway. So we no. each, we come up with them individually, and never before have they been so similar to what they are today. Hmm. You didn't see this coming, and neither did I. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you have first crack at it with bank on it. All right, Chris, Bank On It, presented by Capcom Federal Credit Union. My Bank On It this week, James Harden will be the NBA MVP mm. in the upcoming season. Hear me out here. I know he is a, a troublemaker, to say the least. Um, he's caused some headaches for Houston so far. A couple things play in his favor, though, now. Russell Westbrook is out. I know they're going to tell me they get John Wall there, but James Harden is committed now, I think, to really just taking over. He's angry, okay? I think he's going to really go for the big numbers that he's capable of this season, especially with Westbrook not there. I think he's going to be able to put up more of those triple-double type numbers more consistently. And I think he is so motivated, whether it be really just – to get out of there, right, or just to express his anger in some form. I think he's going to take it out on the league, and I think he's going to show the league just how talented he is, that he can be an NBA MVP caliber player, which we know he can be, but he's going to do it this season in an effort maybe to try to get out of there, but just to take out that anger on the league. What team will he win the MVP for? The Rockets. Okay, so he's not getting traded to Philly. I don't think so. Okay. But he could get traded. He could he could put up big enough numbers before getting traded and then get traded and continue that enough to still be the MVP and maybe even do a playing for two different teams. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen that, right? No, right. Yeah. All right, here's my bank on it. Kevin Durant will be the NBA MVP this season. Now, I, I, I had this thought over the weekend as I'm watching the Nets preseason openers at Sunday. Yeah. We showed highlights on News Channel 13, and I thought, he looks good. I know nobody was playing any defense. I get it. But I also think this Brooklyn team will finish in the top three in the East. I think Kyrie Irving will be a different guy this year now that Kevin Durant is on the court. Leadership matters when the guy is actually on the court with you, on the field with you, as opposed to just kind of chirping at you all the time. I think Kyrie, for all he has said here about not wanting to talk to the media, referring to them as pawns, and then backtracking on those words, and yes, in fact, then doing a media availability session, I think Durant's leadership power will come into play a lot more this year because he's able to be on the court. And the numbers are going to be off the charts. The numbers are going to be off the charts. He's going to be on one of the best teams in the NBA. And I think the fact that he missed all of last season – People will be reminded of just how great he is, that even if his numbers aren't better than Harden's or aren't better than LeBron's, I think people are going to realize, you know what? Kevin Durant has great value, mm-hmm. and we're going to vote for him as MVP. Should at least win comeback player of the year, you would think. Oh, no question. Um, no, but uh, look, I love it, and I hope that's true. To your point about Kyrie, you're right. I think the leadership of Durant is going to be a big difference for them here. You saw it last season – well, two seasons ago, uh, with Boston, where Kyrie is the number one. And when he's the number one and is that head case, that's a problem. 
when he was with Cleveland and he yeah. wasn't the number one. He's still the same guy, but LeBron was there to sort of keep things really on the train tracks and they were still able to have success and win a championship. I hope it's similar here with the Nets that Durant can be that guy, be the number one and keep Kyrie on the straight and narrow because look, I think Kyrie is a guy who is beyond just that troublemaker type status that a, that a James Harden is. I mean, I think, I think Kyrie might have some serious problems at play and, you know, mental health type of problems. Yep. And I, and I just hope that as a Nets fan, that that's something that doesn't, you know, flush a, a championship opportunity down the toilet because this is a window now for the Nets this season and next season where you got to go get it. And they've certainly got the talent to be in that conversation. You really would hate to see it, especially when you have the talent, be that off the court stuff that brings you down. And again, I agree with you that Durant's leadership could be what prevents that from happening in Brooklyn. All right, before we get out of here, some comments on Facebook haven't had a chance to get to until now. Carol says the only team she's watching is the Hawks. And that's yeah. for our boy Kevin Herter. The Hawks are talented, man. They, they've got a lot. I don't know if it all fits, but there are a lot of good individual pieces when you consider what they did in the offseason with Gallinari and Bogdanovich and then even back to last year's trade deadline getting Clint Capella. They are a loaded roster. Rajon Rondo, too, I didn't mention. A loaded roster. Is this a playoff team? I think it is in the East but they're going to have to play a little bit over their heads and expectations, I think, in order to do that. Our guy Nick, who watches every week, Mavericks fan, Luca, can't be any more excited about a single NBA player than a guy like Luka Doncic. I want to get your yeah, he's another potential MVP guy yeah. now any given season. Yeah. Want your take on this as a Jets fan? Our guy Matty Torres says trade for Carson Wentz, then hold the number one pick hostage. Ooh and try to get as much as you possibly can from a team like Jacksonville. But honestly, there are going to be other teams that would be interested in the number one pick for Trevor Lawrence, see what you can get, and then maybe Carson Wentz ends up growing with you as a team. Look, number the number one step for the Jets is a new head coach, and I think everything follows after that. Yeah, and here's the problem with that. I, I, I think Carson Wentz still has some football in him, for sure. The problem with this is if you make this move and Wentz doesn't, and he stinks. And Lawrence goes on to be what a lot of people think he can go on to be. Yeah. It's all-time worst trade, yeah. right? Yeah. So you, you've got to be careful when you're talking about that quarterback position in particular because that's going to be a reflection on your franchise for a very, very long time. And look, they still, you know, I haven't given up on Sam Darnold either on, on the field. So so we'll see. Um but we got to talk about Giannis, man, before we get out of here. What are your thoughts on – look, I said that this was going to happen because at the end of the day it would come down to the loyalty of all the guys, of all the superstars out there who decide I want to go somewhere. It's more important for me to play with somebody than it is to play in a particular place. I felt that Giannis was the one guy who maybe that would be different. Turns out it looks like that's true. Uh, did that – was that part of it that surprised you or or what? Is it is it you thought maybe he had given up faith in Milwaukee being able to put enough around him? Yeah, no, I, I thought that if he stayed, it would be because it would be because of the loyalty factor, but also it would be Giannis showing his true colors no matter which decision he made, right? 
he's always told us that I don't want to be like the other guys. I, I don't want to train with them in the offseason. I don't want to team up with anybody else. I'm going to kind of not do this on my own, but I'm going to do it my own way. And so if he if he veered off that track, we'd say, mm, okay, well, your words weren't as as mighty as as maybe the not the dollar, but but the championship medal that is that is out there. I thought if Giannis left, it would be Chris Middleton, nice player. Eric Bledsoe, he's not there anymore. Nice player. Now Drew Holiday, okay, nice play. But but where is my other superstar? Mm-hmm. Where's my other guy that I can lean on a little bit? when I'm not able to get 30 every single night or in a key game, I need that sidekick. I, is Middleton really that level of sidekick where you can win a championship? Well, go back and look at the, the the teams that have won NBA titles, Bags. And I think the Detroit Pistons in 04 or 05, whatever year it was, they won it. I, I think they're the only team that has won an NBA championship without multiple Hall of Famers. Hmm. Forget All-Star, multiple Hall of Famers. And so like as recent as Golden State – you got Curry and you got Clay, and then you throw Durant in there. Even when LeBron won it in Cleveland, LeBron's a Hall of Famer. Kyrie very well might be at the end of it all. Kevin Love will be yeah. because of his numbers. So every team that wins a title has multiple Hall of Famers. Who is that second guy in Milwaukee? That, for me, was always the biggest question. And I think because of that not being cemented, it really does speak volumes to him backing up his words, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. this is legit now of, yeah, he does want to do it. But now the ball is in Milwaukee's court. He does this. You've got to find a way to build a championship team around him. You've got nice pieces. You don't have a championship team. And it doesn't have to necessarily be this season, but he's committed to you long-term. Now you've got to commit to him long-term and find a way to bring in the pieces to get him a championship, at least make the effort. Okay, I'm glad you said maybe not this season because think about the money that's already on the books. Everything you're paying Giannis, Middleton was a was a, basically a max deal. I mean, he wasn't an All NBA guy, so it's not a super max. Drew Holiday's making a lot of money. Brooke Lopez make. I mean, they're guys on that team making a lot of money. There's I, I can't imagine there's a ton of cap flexibility. Where do you see them in the East right now? They're going to win a lot of regular season games. Oh, there's no question. They, they're they are regular season. They're a top four team easily. Oh yeah, um, they may be still the number one overall seed, but but I don't I don't love them as much as I mean if Brooklyn were playing them I I'd pick the Nets. Hmm. Um, if Miami were playing the game I, I might take Miami. You know Milwaukee's better than Philadelphia. Um, are they much better than Indiana when healthy? I'm not so sure. Boston. Yeah, are they better than Boston. I don't I don't think that they are. Yeah. Okay. I know. I, I, it, they're the kind of team that screams a lot of a lot of regular season wins, not much playoff success, and that's the difference when you talk about that second Hall of Famer. That's yep. where that comes into play. You can do it with the one Hall of Famer, the big superstar, the MVP type of guy in the regular season, but to get over that hump to win a ring, you usually need that second big guy. So we'll see if Milwaukee goes out and gets one here over the next couple of years. A doubleheader of shows today. Uh, we're back at 4 o'clock, two hours from now, to really dive into the NFL with the home stretch ahead of us. The Giants playing on Sunday Night Football. When did you think you, you would get a Giants-Browns game flexed into no. a Sunday primetime game? Never. But it's that's what we've got. 2020. You know what? 2020. That's when. <laughs>
Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Uh, Giants Browns on Sunday night football. We'll talk with NBC's Peter King, have him react to what the Bills were able to do last Sunday night against the Steelers. Also look ahead to this Sunday night and everything going on in the weekend ahead in the NFL. So we're back in two hours on Honorado and Bagnardi. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. We'll see you then with Peter King. See you, Bags.